with this series on spiritual warfare, which um, will come to a conclusion at some point. But nevertheless, um, there's uh, some more that I want to speak on and share because over the, as, uh, as I pondered, it's been over the course of, I think, the whole year pretty much that I've been preaching on spiritual warfare and not out of the Old Testament at all in any text, but just drawing from the spiritual types that we find within the Old Testament that illustrate for us various truths because these things were written for our example and for our admonition, our instruction. And that's why I've taken the time to go through some of the things and it's far from exhaustive. But nevertheless, we've, uh, the theme has been Exodus 15 verse 13, our God is a God of war. And we have to understand that because that's the reality of, uh, of what we are dealing with and uh, the reality of the kingdom of God. It's the reality of, uh, of the Christian life. It's the reality of things as they stand in this, uh, in, in this hour, according to the scriptures. So we can't be ignorant of these things. And so in, the fact, in light of the fact that I've been teaching upon it all year, uh, uh, this, uh, to say that this church is not experiencing a dimension of spiritual warfare would be an understatement. And so uh, that's the reality. We are dealing with the reality of spiritual warfare. And none of us are exempt from its forces and the strategies and from the influences that, uh, that are, 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 are going on in and around us uh, because that's the nature of what we're involved in in the kingdom of God. There is spiritual warfare and it expresses itself in individual lives, in our own walk with God, in our own battle uh, and spiritual fights. But it's not just that, it finds its expression in uh, the body of Christ, in the church, uh, in the church globally or universally in terms of God's church and also in the local church of every facet. And so uh, if we were to uh, dismiss these things or just treat them as somehow they're secondary, we're doing a, a disservice to ourselves because the Bible says we are not to be ignorant of his devices. We're not to be ignorant of his devices. And so scripture gives us so much insight and instruction and revelation. And so the message that I want to share with you this morning as one that is actually you know, as I've gone through over the course of the year, this one's always been in the back of my mind, but it's been on the shelf because it was all, I always knew it was going to be towards the end or as a concluding thought or something of that sort. And in fact, I thought three weeks ago, as I sat down to prepare, I, I had my mind was fixed on this particular scripture. And I thought, yep, I'll start preparing. But then I, I really felt diverted and I preached something different that I was not intending to. And I thought, okay, we'll get to this at, at the appropriate time. And, and when I feel a release to speak on it, because it was always going to be part of my, my series. And so now uh, is, uh, is uh, uh, the time in which I want to share this particular word. And, uh, and again, I allow the Spirit of God to speak to us in the Scriptures. Because when we talk about the Kingdom of God this morning... We need to have our eyes open to the reality of what is going on in and around us. And so really, what is it that we're dealing with when we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ 
and the local assembly. Well, what we're talking about fundamentally and primarily is we're talking about Jesus Christ himself. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ Jesus. We're talking about the centrality of Christ Jesus. We're talking about the lordship of Christ Jesus. We are talking about Jesus Christ in his preeminence in every way and in every shape and in every form this morning. And this is important for us to understand as we consider this because, uh, because we can lose sight of these, 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 these realities. And I want to show you through the scriptures this morning in the, in the context of what we will see, how this kind of fits. And so it's all about Jesus Christ. And I want to just read, if I can, just as a, as, as a statement in Ephesians chapter 3. It's not in our text, but just want to read it to you to illustrate my point. In Ephesians, when Paul's talking about the, the purpose of the mystery, which is Christ, and, uh, and, um, and how the, the... Well, let's read it from verse 8. It says, Paul says, To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden, in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be, might be known, made known sorry, by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So God is working through the church to reveal something profound, a mystery that has been revealed and is to be fulfilled and it's, and it's showing itself to the principalities and powers, and that's why they're opposing the work of God and the purpose of God at every step. But again, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner men. That's what I pray has been transpiring through this, this series, that we would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner men, the spiritual men. And that Christ, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which is passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him, that is to Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Christ be the glory. That is, everything is about the glory of God. Everything is about the preeminence of Christ. Everything is centered to Christ. And this is fundamental in our understanding. And it's no, in, no coincidence that, we won't read it, but in chapter 4, Paul goes on to talk about Christian unity and, uh, and the, the centrality of that to that. Because that's what it's all about. It's about Christ. 
And so it's in light of the, uh, that truth, what I'm emphasizing this morning, that I want to look at a portion of text. And I want to look at a character in the Bible whose name is Benaniah. And so this is his name, Benaniah. And you say, well, what is it that this man has to teach us? Well, I want to show you something in the scripture. And even I, even I, I have preached on this before. I have studied this before. And even in, as I meditated upon it again, God showed me something else that related to the text that I had overlooked previously or hadn't been so prominent before. And so, and I'll illustrate that as we go along. But let's read and, I'll, and uh, let's draw from this, the text and allow the Spirit to speak to us. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular, man the Egyptian had a spear in his hand so he went down to him with a staff wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear these things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among three mighty men now this is interesting for various reasons, and I want to establish the context. This chapter is a chapter that, uh, from verse 8 onwards to the end of it, verse 39, which covers uh, a list of some 37 individuals who are known as David's mighty men. These are David's mighty men, and they are noted in the Scripture for their exploits, for what they were renowned for, and, uh, and what they did in relation to the wars that they fought and the battles that they engaged in and the victories that they had accomplished. And so, so the scripture or the, the spirit of God this morning is emphasizing the honor that is due unto these because of these exploits. And it's naming them. These are men who fought for the king. These are the mighty men of David. Okay, King David. And so the scripture is highlighting these men. And they were the men who fought for the king. They were the men that put their lives and risked their lives for the king and for the kingdom. These are the men, are men that died in the heat of battle in, in, and, uh, and, 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 on the, and on the battlefield. They lost their lives as, uh, in, in the course of war for the cause of the king, King David. And the kingdom itself being Israel in this instance, and by extension the kingdom of God, obviously. But nevertheless, this is, uh, these, are, these are those who fought. And it covers a period of David's life when he was anointed king, uh, uh, but you know that he didn't ascend to the throne immediately. There was a process. And in the midst of that process, you know, David is on the run from Saul. And remember, there was about 400 men that had attached themselves and, and they were discontented and they were the such and they had fled to David and they had found refuge in him. 
And these were the ones that began to fight for David and to fight for the cause, understanding that he was called of God, he was anointed of God, he was destined to become king. And so, they, yes, we are standing with David. And so they fought uh, those battles and with David in that time. And uh, ultimately, when David did go to the throne, there are those as well that uh, are associated with establishing the kingdom, protecting the kingdom and the king and fighting these battles. And some of them are noted for their extreme bravery, courage, fearlessness, determination to fight for the king and for the kingdom. So that's the context. And so what does all this represent? Well, there's a type here because David, as we know, is a type of Christ. And when we talk about David and the throne, we're talking about uh, the throne, amen, of God. We're talking about Christ who will sit on the throne, well, ultimately on the throne of David, but, um, but who sits on the throne now, amen. And so when we're talking about the, the church, when we're talking about now the, Old Test the New Testament and we spiritualize these truths, we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about spiritual warfare and we're talking about a king who rules and reigns and we're talking about people, amen, that are called to serve the Lord, to live for the Lord and you and I, we are called to engage in spiritual warfare this morning. That's the reality of what we're dealing with. It was the reality of the Old Testament in a physical sense. We don't move in that realm as the church but in spiritually, the, th the same truth applies to us. And so, just as David had his mighty men, so God, in a sense, would have his. Those who would say, you know what, I'm, I, I've, here I am. I want to serve the Lord. I'm, I'm prepared to engage in the battle. I'm prepared to, uh, to fight for the king. I'm here to protect the king. I'm here to uh, serve the Lord and do what is a, a God would ask of me at any appointed time relating to his purpose for his glory. Note it. His glory, it's for King David, or in this sense, it's for Christ. This is the preeminence, this is the glory, this is the centre. And so, here we have the church, and we're concerned with the centrality of Jesus Christ. We're concerned with the supremacy. The scriptures are concerned with these things. That's why we are. And so, as we've said, it's not about men, it's about Christ. And Paul the Apostle understood this and some of the dangers that are associated in the natural realm that relate to the church. And he addressed this in his epistle when he spoke to the Corinthian church. Because the Corinthians had uh, began to have sectarian, you know, sectarianism that began to establish itself in the church. And so, some would say, well, I'm of, I'm of Apollos, or oh, no, I'm of Peter, oh, no, I'm, of, I'm of Paul. And so this was a concern to, to, uh, to Paul, the apostle, and so he addressed this amongst the Corinthians and he began to emphasize that sectarianism is, is sinful and it's carnal. He says, you've lost sight of what you're dealing with here. He says, these are all just servants of God, used by God for a specific purpose, but the, the centrality and the supremacy and the glory is focused on one, and that is Christ. And he says in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says, he, he says to, he's giving the church a rebuke in verse 4. He says, for where one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, he says, are you not carnal? 
and he's giving them a subtle rebuke. And he says, who are we? We're just, men are just ministers. It's not about following men, it's about following Christ. That's the emphasis that Paul is making. And he says uh, uh, in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Jesus Christ is the building. Jesus Christ, amen, is, is everything. Glory be unto him in the church. It has to be. It must be. And this is the emphasis that is being made. I can go to Colossians chapter 1. Let me make the point again where, where, where uh, uh, Paul is emphasizing this, what's important here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, To them, that is the Gentiles, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. And then he says, The hope of glory, Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labour, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And that's why Paul says to the Galatians, after they had, uh, they had turned against him, he says, whom I will labour again until Christ is formed in you. It's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's about Christ. And it must be about Christ. And where Christ is not centre, then this is where the, the dangers begin and begin to manifest themselves. And Paul was well aware of that and he made clear emphasis through the Spirit in this context. And in the same way in the Old Testament, it was all about King David. So to us in the church, it's all about Christ. It's about Christ. That's what motivated Beniah. You see, Beniah is listed in here. Not you know when you when Israel read about the mighty man, they didn't say, "Oh, I'm of Beniah, I'm of Shammah, I'm of Joab, oh, I'm of this one because he did this and he did that." No, no, no. They were all there and they're all listed for the king. That's why they're there. They're David's mighty men. They were there for the kingdom. They are listed in honour for the king. And this is the emphasis that is uh, uh, being made here as we look at the scripture this morning and see Beniah and the, the relevance that this particular text has for us. See, what motivated the heart of Beniah was just to serve the king, just to obey the king, just to honour the king, just to glorify the king. That's what drew him into battle. And that's what causes us as Christians to fight the good fight of faith. Amen? That's what causes us. That should be the motivation. It's Christ. It should be nothing else but Christ. And we are in a war. And so what can we learn from Benaiah this morning? What does the Spirit want to teach us this morning? Let's look. Because there's something we can see here. We are told that Benaiah, verse 20, was the son of Jehoiada. And it said he had done many deeds, and it lists, and it lists some of them. It says he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Two lion-like. Note the emphasis there, okay? Lion-like. I don't know what exactly that would mean, but, but um, they were lion-like. But nevertheless, obviously, they were strong and 
and uh, ominous uh, opposition, and um, Benaiah is, uh, is, is determined to take them on. So he takes on two lion-like heroes of Moab. He's also uh, credited because the Bible says he's gone down in the pit on a snowy day and he's killed to fight a lion, literally a lion this time, and he's killed the lion. Now think about that. He's, go- he's gone down into a pit on a snowy day and he's in, the, in a pit with a lion and he has to fight. And the, the Bible says that he defeated the lion. So this is another, another one of his heroics. And the third one is to do with an Egyptian. Uh, the Bible calls him a spectacular man. And this man had a sword. So again, a spectacular man with a sword. This guy was trade. He was, he was masterful. And yet uh, he was the elite, so to speak. And yet his Benaiah, he takes, the Bible says he takes a staff, a club. <laughs> and he goes down to face and engage the man, this man in battle. And then he begins to combat him face to face. And he's wrestling with him. And in wrestling with him, he forces the sword out of the Egyptian's hand. He gets the sword and he picks it up and he kills the the Egyptian with the sword. And these are the three exploits that we are noted here in the scripture. And notice it says, these things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did. And he won a name among these mighty men. You see, Benaiah was a tenacious character. Benaiah was fearless character. Benaiah was a man who was a determined soldier, who had a heart for God, had a heart for King David, and he was willing to fight for his king. And this is exactly the reason why these these exploits are noted. But the question I want to put to you this morning, was Benaiah always like this? We read about his exploits, we think, my gosh, I don't know if I could have done that. That's, That's tremendous, and it is. But you see, we just say, well, look, there's something different about Benaiah because, you know, obviously he was probably at a bit more stature. Who knows? But can we assume that that Benaiah was always like this? Did he have some natural abilities and talents? Well, I believe that the Bible reveals this to us, and the answer is no. Because the word Benaiah in the Hebrew means God has built. God has built up. So in other words, when we talk about Benaiah, when we read about his exploits, we're talking about somebody this morning who God had built up and had trained and had uh, uh, developed into the man that he was in order to fight the exploits that he did. Because I, the assumption is, is that earlier on in his life, he wouldn't have done these things. Note that it starts with two lion-like uh, men. Then he, and then he's in a pit and he's fighting literally a lion. And in the Bible, what does the lion represent? Who roams like a roaring lion? Satan, the devil himself. And so here he is with a lion in a pit, face to face. And, he's, uh, and so he's, but he's now prepared. He's been built up by God. Because when you go down to the pit, only one person's coming out. But you see, his God has built him up for this moment. God has built him up for this time. And for this battle, and we see his victory. And same with the, the, uh, the Egyptian too. We see an emphasis on, on this aspect as well. But God made him the man that he had become. That's what the name Benaiah teaches us. God had built him up. And so the truth is this morning, 
Does not God build us up to make us meet for the master's use? Does not God build us up as individuals so that we can stand against the enemy? And when that evil day comes, having done all to stand, isn't that God's purpose is to build us up and strengthen us in the power of his might that we in the inner man may be made strong so when, uh, when the evil day appears or when there's, a, there's battles that be fought that we can stand in Christ and begin to, to process and, and engage the battle in accordance with what it is that we are facing. In Psalm 144, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. See, that's the truth. We're trained by God. God trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. I'm not the same. When I first got saved, I felt many a times the enemy just had a heyday with me. You know, like I was just so overcome so quickly and so often because I was just so vulnerable and weak. Uh, but, you know, it was through all of the experiences that God had brought me through over years and years and even till today. But God has made me the person that I have become. God has made you the person that you have become. You, we have all been built up into Christ. And this is what the scripture is teaching us in Psalm 18, uh, where David himself reflects upon his own life and experiences and battles. David makes some profound statements when he says, let me read it to you, Psalm 18, verse 29. He says, for by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Hmm. Ever felt like that? <laughs> Physically, I guess not. And probably not. Uh, actually, no. But in Christ, in the Spirit, is this not our disposition this morning? David said, he, he, uh, he, he, uh, for you I can run against the troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. And in verse, look at verse 34. He says, he teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David said, he has taught my hands to make war. And that's, it. that's how it is in the Christian life. God builds us up. Just in the same way he built up Beniah to become the man that he was and to perform the exploits that he did. So God builds us all up to stand and to fight because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And so I believe that that uh, Benaiah's life indicates the fact that he was built up. That's why the scripture says he first killed two lion-like men. Then he went down into a pit on a snowy day and he fought a lion. And then the audacity, he looks at this spectacular Egyptian and uh, you're not like David. David got the sling from a distance and Goliath and he kind of, you know, threw it and God took it and put it in. But here's Benaiah, he goes up to this man and wrestles with him without a sword, just a club. The vulnerability, and yet he prevails. And so you think, where did he get the audacity to do that? Because he had been built up by the Lord. He was not a self-made man. It wasn't that he was self-confident. No, no, no. He, he's a faith-filled man. He's a man that has become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
You know, on the two occasions, and I noted this in the scripture, and I must confess, this is the part that I'd overlooked previously that the Lord had shown to me. I'd ministered in this in years past, and I said on the basis of that we will find ourselves many times in a pit on a snowy day having to fight. And there's an element of truth to that. But you see, the scripture is quite deliberate when it says, he went down into the pit. Note that. He went down into the pit. He didn't fall into the pit. He didn't just stumble in a pit. He went down into the pit. In the same way, when it talks about the spectacular men, the Egyptian, it says, he went down to the Egyptian. This was a deliberate choice and to engage the battle. He didn't just find himself haphazardly in these circumstances. In fact, he possibly could have went the other way and avoided it. But yet, the scripture makes it clear that he went down. And so that is a, that's the point that kind of stood out to me as I was uh, meditating upon this text again. And it just began to dawn on me in, this, in, in, in a different light and in a different manner. But you see, God had built him up and he had a confidence in God, not in his own strength and his own ability, but he had a confidence in God that would enable him to take such steps and such actions. And so my prayer this morning is that God has built you and I up over the course of this series, over the, the longevity of all that I've been teaching upon in the scriptures. And I know it's gone on for some time and I don't preach each week, but I'm sure that the, the word has gone in and the spirit of God has quickened it to your heart and to your life. And in some measure that you've been built up, in some measure that you've been strengthened, in some measure that you've been equipped, because it's about Christ this morning. It's about the glory of God in your life and in the corporate life of the church. Now, I want to highlight, before I conclude, I want to highlight another aspect to this account of Benaiah. Because as I was pondering the fact that he had gone down, the Bible says he went down. He went down into a pit on a snowy day. And I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, Benaiah's actions actually defy logic. Now listen carefully. Benaiah's actions defy reason and they defy logic. Because anyone would look at the situation, okay, there's a lion in the pit, just leave it there. And uh, not only that, it's in a pit. Why would you want to go in a pit? Just wait to get in the open field. Or something that, you know, if you go down into that pit, you're alone in that pit, and you're going to, only one's coming out, Benaiah. The, the, the risk is too high. Or in other words, they could have said, they would have said, not only that, Benaiah, don't you see, it's snowing. It's a snowy day. You're weighed down by the snow, and you're going to go into a pit in the snow, and you're going to fight the lion? This defies logic, Benaiah. What are you doing? Don't go down there. Just wait. So in other words, what they're saying to Benaiah, or what they could have said, or what we could have reasoned out of this, is that the, 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 uh, the circumstances were not ideal for Benaiah to engage in this, circum in this battle. The circumstances were not presenting defied logic. It wasn't the season to go and fight the lion. 
wait until the spring comes along and, uh, you know, in the plains and the sun's out and we get a better view and, you, you know, then you can engage. But no, not Benaiah. He goes down into the pit on a snowy day and he engages the battle. And so the circumstances were not right. The odds were against him. It wasn't the season. And yet, it would have appeared to be the worst time of the season. But the, the truth is this, Benaiah had to go down into the pit. He had to go into the pit on this snowy day and he had to fight the lion. That's what the scripture's teaching us. And so the snow obviously represents the circumstances of life. You know, the circumstances are never ideal. The circumstances are, con are such that they represent the snow. And the pit obviously speaks for itself and the lion speaks for itself. But I found this statement. And uh, I, it rang true as I studied this. Because there are times in the Christian life that you're going to have to press through. Listen to these words. You're going to have to press through the problems you're going to have to press through the suffering you're going to have to press through the pain and one man said it this way you have to go through to get to and that is just the reality of things and this is the reality that Benaiah is facing he's in the pit on a snowy day and he's facing the lion but God had built him up and he was ready to stand and he was ready to fight and so he prevailed. You see, he was a man that was strong in the Lord. There's no doubt about it. And I pray that you begin to identify and see what the scripture is teaching us this morning. Benaiah was strong in the Lord. He had grown into a determined, tenacious, fearless, courageous man of God. And this was the Lord's doing, as the, as the name itself tells us. And so, when we look at this reality and this truth this morning, what can we draw from the scripture? What can we learn from what the Bible's teaching us? You see, Benaiah could have just turned his back and left and walked away. He didn't have to go down and fight the lion. He didn't have to go and engage hand-to-hand -hand combat with the spectacular Egyptian. Why did he go down? didn't have to, well, you say so you just could have left it. Well, you know what? Because he understood. If he didn't attack that lion, there was going to be trouble. If he'd let the lion continue to roam, if now was the time, so he went. And it came to the Egyptian, if he didn't engage in the battle, then, then others would have suffered and died. He understood the, 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 the moment, he understood the time in which he was in, and he acted accordingly, and the Bible honours him and speaks of his exploits and his courage in that moment. And this is Benaiah. And so, it's not in our lives as Christians, we find ourselves in similar circumstances. That we, it's, we have to sometimes have to face the war. We have to face the battle. We have to process spiritual warfare. It's the way that it is. It's a reality. I know. I'd love to stand here and say, look, don't worry about it. It's all good. No problems. But I'd be lying to you. I would be doing a dishonor to God and his word if I was to even suggest such a thing. Because there's spiritual dimension, there's a spiritual battle, there are forces at work. And none of us are immune from these forces. 
And so we have to process these things in the wisdom of God, in the grace of God. And so I know that we're all pacifists at heart. No one wants to, we, we don't want to have to engage in the, in the battle. We don't want to have to fight. We don't like spiritual warfare. If we like spiritual warfare, something's wrong with us, okay? But we are prepared to fight like Benaiah because God has built us up because that is the will of God. Because that is God's plan, that is God's purpose. So we have to, God is looking for people that would say, here I am, send me. Meet for the master's use, those that can be used of God and can withstand and can fight and can engage the battles. Because they are real. No. And so, spiritual warfare is a reality. And so, the Bible teaches us about the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to go through it, but I'm sure we're familiar with it to some degree. And now the one thing that I want to highlight is that the, the armor is set up as an offensive. If you were to turn your back in the battle, you are completely exposed. You can't turn your back to the battle. It's not an option. And so we have to engage. That's why the Bible says, take up the shield of faith. And it gives us a whole overview of the, of the spiritual armour that is to enable us on, in, in that day to stand. And having done all to stand and to withstand the, the onslaught of the enemy when he comes. And so this is the reality. And this is what the Bible's building us up to. This is what Paul is building the church up for. Read the book of Ephesians. It talks about our position and how to walk and then it talks about how to fight because until we learn how to fight, we won't be able to maintain our rest in Christ and also to walk as we ought to walk. They're all interlinked. And so we see here the scripture this morning. Benaiah was concerned and consumed with the king. That's all. He was concerned with protecting the king, fighting for the king, honouring the king, and the glory of the king. And so too must we be this morning. It's all about the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we do bless your wonderful and holy name. My God, it is about the glory of God this morning. That Christ may have the preeminence. That Christ, Lord, would be exalted. Oh, hallelujah, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray, God, concerning this word this morning, quicken it, God, to every heart that's here this morning. Lord, let us have eyes to see. Let us learn the lessons that, Lord, your word teaches us. And help us, Lord, to apply it, Lord, to our own lives. And God, to our day-to-day -day living. Because, Lord, that's where the battle is raging. So God, I pray in the same way that you made Beniah all that he is, Lord, make us individually and corporately what we are to be in Christ. I ask God your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning, and I pray you're encouraged by the word of God, and we're going to have a time of...